please leave a message after the beep. In the shadow of LAX, from the Buck Studio, this is Sports Stories with Danny Lennon. The Tournament of Roses began on New Year's Day of 1890 in Pasadena. Basically, the parade and other related activities was a way for Southern Californians to rub it in the faces of people living in cold weather. By 1923, the associated football game moved into the newly built stadium and was dubbed the Rose Bowl. The stadium got its name because it resembled the Yale Bowl in New Haven, Connecticut, except the Yale Bowl was full of snow every January 1st. Over the next few decades, other postseason football games were established and, considering the success of the Rose Bowl, they named themselves in similar fashion. The Orange Bowl in Miami, the Sugar Bowl in New Orleans, the Cotton Bowl in Dallas, and so on. American football continued on its path as the unofficial religion of the United States. The professional game had grown steadily over time, and by the 1960s, there was enough public interest to support two pro leagues. An agreement to combine the National Football League and the upstart rival American Football League was reached, and as a precursor to the eventual merger, they would play an AFL-NFL championship game beginning in 1967. Legend has it that Kansas City Chiefs owner Lamar Hunt was watching the Rose Bowl game on TV that one New Year's Day. While his kids played with a Super Bowl toy, it was a bouncy red ball that was a brainchild of a chemist in California, and then it was appropriated by the toy manufacturer Whammo. Lamar Hunt, doing a little appropriating of his own beyond the appropriation of the team named Chiefs, came up with the term Super Bowl. That's right, in one stroke of genius, Lamar Hunt swooped in and exploited the college game, a chemist, and by association, his own children. But please note, if you're not an official sponsor of the NFL or the big game, you get sued by them for using the term Super Bowl, despite the process of how they came up with the term. Far be it from SSDL to further appropriate the appropriation that the NFL has propagated. That's why we have decided to call this episode the Super Football Special. America! I'm a Venice, California-born, Los Angeles-based sports fan. One that has played, coached, announced, and promoted sports my whole life. My love affair with sports started in my own backyard and has led me to this podcast. Thanks to the support of the Amateur Athletic Union in East Bay, I'm excited to bring you Sports Stories with Denny Lennon. Hello, sports historians, and welcome to Audio Video Podcast Episode LXX. That is 70 for those of you that do not speak Roman numerals. It's Sports Stories with Denny Lennon, and this is our Super Football Special. Marley Rice and bad boy Bobby McCall have taken the lead on these recent episodes where we revisit some of our interviews with a common theme. This week, we celebrate with football and the big game. Marley Rice is the producer. She was also a recent guest on the Brandon Sports Talk podcast. Wow. Marley, what do we got on deck? Well, I think one, um, Roman numerals, they're just so outdated. We should just call them 35. That's what most people Mm -mm, will know that. mm -mm. Roman numerals are just confusing. They're very particular at the NFL. (laughs) Well, since this is the Super Bowl, it's coming up this Sunday, we decided to compile a Super Bowl theme special for you Mm -hmm. guys, including some interviews with Norm Bass, Peter Boulware, 
Brendan Iambadejo, and Gary Gilliam. Mm-hmm. Uh, these were some of my favorite live shows and video podcasts, actually. And going back and rewatching them, it made me really excited to put this all together. So our nice. first one we want to bring you is one of our segments uh, from our video podcast with Norm Bass. Norm Bass. And Denny, Norm was probably your favorite one. So tell us yep. a little bit about him. I love Norm Bass. Uh, first black American to play pro football and uh, pro baseball. He played football, though, in a time that preceded the big game. Um, but we've included him because, like you said, he's our favorite. He is. So enjoy this little clip. And if you haven't yet seen this entire video of Norm Bass, I highly suggest going to check it out on YouTube.com slash SSDL. But here's a little segment of it with Norm Bass. Enjoy. So, Norm, how is it? Um, tell us, how, how does it end with the Kansas City Athletics? Uh, 63, I think, right? Well, the arm was so bad mm-hmm. that I couldn't even uh, take a shower, man. Mm. The arm was just locked right there. I couldn't throw. Then arthritis was sitting in, and they didn't know what to do with arthritis in 1965, 60, all that. Mm-hmm. And I got a hold to a doctor there, and you know what he was giving me? 16 aspirins a day. Oh Jeez. God. He said, the more you put in your system, the better it is. It burned a hole in my oh. kidney and all that. Couldn't even drink water because Ooh. of that. So I stayed on that for two years. Then I finally I stopped taking that. Then I got into watching what I eat and everything, and I started feeling better. That's how I got into chicken and fish and all that. Okay. I met this guy that was doing acupuncture mm. from China. And acupuncture was illegal in the United States when I met this guy. Mm-hmm. But he would meet in people's houses, and he'd call me on the phone, tell me to come over. Hmm. I'd go over there, and he'd stick a couple needles in me. He'd fix me up. Hmm. Right. That's, he the one who told me about the diet. So did the, did the Kansas City Athletics send you back to El Paso? Is that how that happened? Well, they, 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 they sent me to El Paso. Now, I pitched one game in that league. Mm-hmm. I win, but I can't, can't even eat. My arm locked. Hmm. Couldn't throw. Hmm. And when I couldn't throw, I said, well, maybe I can still play football. <laughs> okay. So that's how, mo- I, got, that's most how pe- I got mo- into football. Most people in, in the athletic world who get run out of one sport, they don't say, oh, I know. I could go play in the NFL. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's, 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 that's what that. I thought. <laughs> and, I, and I told Dick, I said, Dick, I'm going I'm to go out here and try to see if I can play football here. So Dick and Ollie Manson and all them guys would take me to the field and run me through exercise. They said the biggest thing that's going to be a problem, I hadn't played football in seven years, mm-hmm. was your neck. Your neck might break because you haven't been hitting nobody or nothing. Mm-hmm. So they ran me through a bunch of drills. They got me ready. They worked me out and all that. Mm-hmm. And the Rams wanted me to come out there for them. So Dick Bass, Ollie Matson. Matson was a USF guy, right? I think he, I think he, was, a, he was a great player. San Francisco, yeah. Yeah, he was terrific, yeah. Uh, he was in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Holly oh. Matson ran in the Olympics. Yeah, he was. He was. Yeah, that's right. He, he was super. He, fat. he, he was me and, and was, Dick's he was, idol. He, he was, was our he, idol. He was part of that USF Don's team that went undefeated. No, that was Bill Russell. No, no, no. I mean in football. Oh, oh football. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Holly Matson, Did you yeah. know they were supposed to play in the Cotton Bowl? Yeah, and then they wouldn't. And they wouldn't play because he right. was black. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So the whole team didn't play. Yeah. And that's why they finished nine and zero, and they've held yeah. that throughout. The, they stand tall in the in the it annals was, of time. It was uh, Ali Matson. He was yeah. tough. Wow! So they were running you through drills, getting you ready, and they got me ready. And I didn't really know what kind of condition I would be in in the first place. I hadn't played football in a while. So Denver, one of the coaches down there, used to be at COP. Mm. He heard about I was going to try to play football, and they offered me a couple grand and some shoes. I said, well, let me go to Denver. 
So I went to Denver on that. When I got there, they had 90 guys in the camp, 90. 90. And they only kept 34. And, and, and you went, this is in Fort Collins, I think, or something for training? I mean, you're mile high. We in That's Boulder, California, Colorado, where okay. the camp was in Boulder, at the college out there. Wow. But That's gotta, not only did I, I hadn't played in six or seven years now, I still had on high top shoes and all that. <laughs> Didn't, never seen a kicking shoe. Oh. Never heard of that. They had invented a kicking shoe. Okay. And I didn't even know whether I could kick no more or nothing. I wasn't even interested. I was trying to make the team. So the first scrimmage they had there, I made the team. The first scrimmage. First scrimmage, you make the team. Make the team. The guy that was all league was coming around the corner. And I jacked him up and dropped, stopped him for a loss. And the man said, that's just the guy we're looking for. <laughs> I made the team. And out of 34 guys, I'd make the starting team. Wow. wow. The first wow. league game was against the Jets. I'm kicking off. You know how I got the job? You're kicking off in an NFL football game about uh, less than a year after you got run out of Major League Baseball. Yeah. But what had happened was that uh, I had a sprained ankle one day. And when you have a sprained ankle, they put you on a field. They had two practice fields, football fields. Okay. And I'm over here with the ball boy. And I said, hey, man, you got a tee in there? Kick it. You know where you put the ball on the tee? Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah, I said, get that out. Let me try something. I put it down, and I limped up to the ball with a sprained angle, and I kicked it and went about 20 yards. I said, baby, I wonder, can I still do this? I was just curious. So I kicked another one, went about 30. And there's scrimmages going on over here. Mm-hmm. So I got back this time, and I rooted one. It went off the field, <laughs> over the goalpost, upside the wall, and they stopped the, the scrimmage. <laughs> and the coach said, who in the hell kicked that ball? <laughs> I'm talking stuff, not me. It's I'm like, the one did it. You're like Forrest Gump running and through they said, football uh, practice in Alabama. Somebody get him a kicking shoe. I said, give me some tennis shoes, man. <laughs> <laughs> and I was the kicker. Wow. Okay, so your first game against the Jets. Jets the Jets. Yeah? How'd that And go? I kicked off. You kicked off. And all them guys was teasing me about coming to base football, go back to baseball on the sideline and all that. Mm-hmm. But I could handle it. I said, don't let me catch you on the field out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How'd that game go? Oh, we got beat. Yeah. We got beat. Denver didn't have. But on that team, we had some individuals on there that was almost uh, a lot of them in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Willie Brown was on that team. Wow. Uh, Ike Lasseter was on that team. Uh-huh. Uh, Hewitt Dixon was on that team, the running back. Sure. Did I ever tell you that uh, one of the players that I played with at COP was playing with the Oakland Raiders? His name was Wayne Hawkins. He was Wayne all Hawkins. pro lineman. Mm-hmm. He told Al Davis that I was over there at Denver, and I knew all about the game, and I'm going to hook you up on the phone with him, and anybody you want to know about, he'll tell you. <laughs> so he called on the phone. He put Davis on the phone, and Davis asking me about Hewitt Dixon. <laughs> Al and, Davis getting deep intel from the guy who oh played yeah. against all these guys. And did you know I told him about Hewitt Dixon? They had him at tight end. Huh. I said, he's a running back. <laughs> he made a trade and got him just on what I told him. Wow. And, they, and they win the Super Bowl, man. <laughs> <laughs> wow, look at you doing some behind-the-scenes well, work. Well, Wayne Hawkins knew I was pretty smart. I was, a, I was a smart dude. I could figure out something. We had a coach in college. Wait, I thought you, were, you weren't smart enough to play quarterback, though, Norm. Well, well, that was in the freshman. <laughs> but the coach on the team, he judged your smarts by a checker game. Wow. Huh. He played checkers with everybody, and he judged your intellect okay. by a checker okay. game. He don't know that me and my dad played 300 games a day <laughs> of checkers in the 11th and 12th grade. 
Okay. And so we get on the thing, and I jump all these checkers. I just jumped all of them. <laughs> and he was following me around the campus. He told Dick I was a genius, man. <laughs> man. Is there anything you can't do to him? Uh, and I'm talking all this stuff to him. How did it, how did it end with uh, Denver? Arthritis got so bad, I couldn't walk. Mm-hmm. I was taking shots from a private doctor, cortisone, so I could even go out on the field. Mm-hmm. Finally, I had to stop. Mm. They didn't even know I had that. Yeah, I'm playing with what I got now. The arms are bent, fingers are bent, and I'm playing football like that. Mm. They didn't even notice it. Wow. I'm hitting them pretty good, man. <laughs> and so you just said, I can't do this. Well, I knew I couldn't do it. I yeah. knew I couldn't pitch no more either before they told me that. You're... Um your son uh, writes in the book um, about being at the crossroads, and it's like slowly, cruelly, my father was ushered into a world of uncertainty, only with the knowledge that his professional athletic career was suddenly over at the age of 26. It was early June 65 in El Paso. Uh, Texas would see Junior in a professional uniform for the last time. Then he was unceremoniously disemplaned to an empty, desolate place called the crossroads. Sports world, he so desperately yearned to be part of, glided across a big stage without him. Norm is the best. Okay, what's next? Yeah, he really is the best. So next up, we have Bob Klein. He was one of our more recent interviews at Casablanca Restaurant. Mm-hmm. And he was someone that was denied being in the Super Bowl because he played for the Rams in the 1970s. Yeah, they were a heartbreak then. Twice they lost to the Cowboys in the conference championship game. Twice they lost to the Minnesota Vikings in the conference championship game during the 70s. They finally got there, but by that time, Klein had left for San Diego. And that was, they, uh, the Rams got to the Super Bowl in nine, the 1979 season, 1980 Super Bowl. That was Super Bowl XIV. XIV. I just, I, 14. 14. And um, that was played at? Miami. The Rose Bowl. Oh, that's where Bob Klein played all of his years. And he, well, he played for USC. He no, USC. he played in some Rose Bowls. That's okay. right, but um, it connects. And, uh, you know, Cheryl Ladd sang the national anthem. No idea that. who that is. Chris Monroe from the Townsend Agency? <laughs> no. Charlie's Angels? Nothing? No. no. Nothing. No. Hmm. Okay. I was okay. born in 1990, Denny. You're yeah. all about the 70s. Yeah, but that's, that's art right there. Charlie's okay. Angels. Well, okay. moving on, um, let's give you a little snippet of our Bob Klein interview. Enjoy. You're a rookie, and um, the Rams actually make playoffs. And uh, you got like that. Down. And you go to the coldest place you could possibly go in Minnesota. But let's see here. The Rams finally scored when Gabriel caught the Vikings' own secondary asleep on a rollout, spotting tight end Bob Klein in the open for a seven-nothing lead. And the nice. Yeah. Scored against the Vikings in the first. Do you do you do you know how cold look, that end zone right there? Yeah. It's frozen. <laughs> what they did was they took and they covered the entire field with a tarp and they put blowers underneath there. There's no grass on that field. That's absolutely. It's What's just that, is that Met Stadium? Yeah. Yeah. And and by by the by <laughs> about the second quarter, what was kind of dirt and mud turns into crust. Ooh. It starts, and then the end zones were just like this table, just just it, as hard as Taking a hit there, it couldn't have and, been. And of course, the, the people from Minneapolis, they think it's the greatest thing in the whole world because that's what they're, they're used to. That, that just drove me out of my mind, like I didn't get it, how this whole season is played in beautiful sunshine and the most important games of the year to go 
back to a sunshine place for the Super Bowl always ended up in Minnesota or like, you know, eventually like yeah. New England or they'd end up somewhere super cold. No dome stadium Buffalo. at the time. The Houston Astrodome was the first thing that, that occurred. And even then, the, the Astrodome, which is, still serves multi-purpose things, they'd have on Saturday, they'd have a rodeo. And then they bring in AstroTurf, right? And roll that stuff out. And that, and that stuff that was, was that absolute was worst. That stuff bit. was like playing uh, on on carpet, but on, on hard, hard yeah, surface. And of course, in those days, the, the first versions of that stuff, when you slid on that stuff, it just take take your skin right off. Wow, that was a great interview with uh, Bob Klein. If you haven't seen the whole thing, we have a four-part series on him, so go check that out. Yep. So next, we move on to some of our uh, guests that were actually in the Super Bowl. That's right. Um, first, with Peter Bulware. So we met up with Peter. Shout out Jake Downey for getting us this interview after his daughter won the AAU National Championships. Right, Denny? Yep, and let's not forget that this franchise that Peter won with used to be the Cleveland Browns before they snuck out of town in the dead of night. And then they got to Baltimore and won two Super Bowls. So Crazy. I guess, you know, those things worked out for them, Ravens. Uh, yeah, Peter Bulware, Super Bowl XXXV. I mean, enough with the Roman numerals. 35. 35. Tampa, Florida. Cool. All right. So here's a little snippet of our interview with Peter Bulware, Super Bowl champion. Peter Bulware was an All-American in the 1995 National Defensive Player of the Year at Florida State, where he played for the legendary coach Bobby Bowden. Bowden won two national titles at FSU and was just a few feet wide right of perhaps a couple more. You know the Seminoles. They're the team with Chief Osceola riding on a horse with a spear that he throws into the ground. The fans all do the tomahawk chop chant. Oh, um, I wonder if I have permission to do that chant. I think FSU is okay to do all that stuff since someone may or may not have gotten permission from some council that meets in a casino in Oklahoma, maybe, something like that. Anyhow, Peter is one of many prominent FSU football players, a long list that includes, wait for it, Burt Reynolds, that's right, buddy, the Longest Yard, Smokey and the Bandit, Boogie Nights, the Dinah Shore Show, R.I.P. Burt Reynolds, one of the greats. I should have asked Norm MacDonald from SNL to come on and do an impression. Okay, I, I digress. Peter was a fourth pick in the 1997 NFL draft to the Baltimore Ravens. The Ravens had replaced the beloved Colts in Baltimore. The Colts bolted for Indianapolis in 1984, but in 1995, the Cleveland Browns moved to Baltimore. City of Cleveland, however, was not putting up with owner Art Modell's shenanigans, and they sued to keep their name, history, and colors. Incidentally, part of the group that fought for Cleveland to keep their intellectual property was Sports Stories Episode 1 guest and AAU President Roger Gowdy. Go Brown Dogs! Anyhow, when Baltimore was without a name, they leaned on city history. Since the best ever TV show The Wire had yet to be created, the nod went to Baltimore resident Edgar Allan Poe, a mid-19th century writer best known for his tales of the macabre. Poe's The Raven became the moniker that the team would use forevermore. Bulware was an instant hit with the Ravens, being named Defensive Rookie of the Year in 1997. He would go to four Pro Bowls and set the team's all-time sacks record. He sacked quarterbacks like Heather Locklear took down assailants with her baton on T.J. Hooker. Now that you just have to look up on YouTube. 
And so it was on January 28, 2001, when George Walker Bush was president and Shaggy had the number one hit in the country claiming it wasn't him. Peter Bulwer, number 58 in your program, lined up alongside Hall of Fame linebacker Ray Lewis on one of the greatest defensive teams in NFL history and put a 34-7 beatdown on the New York football giants to win Super Bowl 35. Bobby Bowden, was he an interesting guy? He was, was he a good recruiter? Absolutely. An incredible recruiter, incredible person. As we talked about those life skills, sure. a guy that was like, you know what? I, you know, when he sits in, in your house and talks to your mom and dad, he says, look, I'm more interested in the man than I am the football player. And a lot of coaches will tell you that, and they're like, whatever. Bowden meant that. You know, when you, when you got there, he was interested in – He was good in the living room. Exactly. <laughs> but but also, too, I mean, he coached you hard, but he, he wanted you to be – a, a, a good person, a godly person, people that uh, a, a guy that did the right things, and I attribute do, a lot of, of of my success to. Do, Coach do, do, do you remember um, him first coming to your house? Oh yeah, I remember. It was him. was the block on fire? Oh, it was it was it was. <laughs> I can imagine. It, it was. Cool. I mean, I remember he came he came to my high school and I saw. Oh, oh wow. He was walking around the high school. I'm like, that is cool. And That's then he came right. by the house and he met with us. And 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 the thing about the great recruiters and the great people. After him, after he sits down for like a minute, it's like you've known him forever. Yeah, and yeah. your parents, and then you walk away. You're like, oh yeah, I could, I could spend the next four to five years I, I with that, that guy. Yeah, and he was just a master at sitting in the living room and just making you I'll feel bet. like just in, incredible. And and he's got, you know, he's got to convince the parents because I remember, you know, the same thing with my son going off to college and and starting to meet the different coaches that were he was going to play volleyball at. Yep. And you really do, you 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 know, it's it's not easy. Um, father of five. Yep, you know, and as 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 that time comes, you go okay. Yes. That's a big leap, absolutely. Because there's again, so much time that's spent with that person. It is, and you want that person to treat them the way you would treat them. Sure, you know, and you want them to want that coach to coach them hard, but you want them to to pour the same values that that no you doubt. have. And so, you know, we spend 18, 19 years pouring into these kids. You you want to hand them off to somebody that's going to keep keep going with it. So you're right in the heart of the uh, Florida State Miami. Uh, mm -hmm. Right, going yeah, oh, back yeah. and forth, one and two. Oh yeah, I mean it's you know the state of Florida is. I mean you got sure. University of Florida, Miami, Florida State. You know, and so it's a it, it's it's it, it's rich in tradition. It's rich in, in in sports history, and it's fun to be a part of it. And it's 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 a really it's a really big deal in our state. Any particular game stick out in your mind from college? Um, yeah, I mean obviously our national championship sure. that, that one stuck out. Uh, I remember we played the Gators. That's our that's a Florida Gator. That's our arrival. I remember we had the the. The fourth quarter, thirty-one point comeback. Oh, and it wow! Was just, that's okay. You know, it was just absolutely <laughs> a, an incredible comeback. And then we played in the Sugar Bowl the, the, the next game, fifth quarter in the French Quarter, and we oh. beat them. So <laughs> yeah, we, just, we had some epic battles. You that know, is it was fun. just it was it was. And that kind of camaraderie you have with, with your teammates. Oh, yeah. you know, it's it's fantastic. It lasts forever. Yeah, it, it's super special. The memories you make, and, and and you get the camaraderie by the hard times, the sweat, the hard practices, the times where you didn't think you were going to make it and you know everybody pulled together and, and pushed you through it and so that was that was pretty cool did you feel, feel like florida state good, did a good job getting you ready to for the nfl draft oh for sure i yeah. mean I, I think florida state prepared me the best for the nfl draft and i, I tell this to people all the time the person that i practiced against practiced against was was an nfl hall of famer and so i was going against an nfl hall of famer every who was every, that uh walter jones oh okay so he was okay, on sure. one side offensive tackle oh, yeah, and then the other sure. guy i was going against was an nfl all pro trey, trey thomas oh my goodness and okay. so it, it, the, the funny story was we used to tell people this all the time our practices 
were better than <laughs> yeah. any game that we played. <laughs> you you want to see yep. how good we are? Don't look at the game film. Watch you look practice. at the practice film. Yeah. Because you're looking at two you, – you, you, really, literally, you would be looking at about six or seven NFL all-pro guys That's going unreal. at it in practice. And so we were like, look, if you can win in practice, games are easy. Now, the combine at that time wasn't exactly what it is now. It wasn't. Or, it wasn't the exact same, but it still had the basic, basic you know, the, the forties and the, and the bench and and the agility. But but they but they've definitely added to it for sure. Had, yeah, well, certainly. And I mean, it's it's unbelievable the job the NFL does with getting you to pay attention year round. Oh now. yeah. Oh it's yeah. A, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, well, I mean, the dollars that are paid for these guys now they they're they're investing a lot in these athletes, and they want these guys to be you know prepared and ready to play. So I'd imagine you're you're pretty sure you're going to go in the first round. Were you surprised at going as high as four? You know, I wasn't. I really wasn't. I mean, I just I, I, I knew I had a really, really good good season, and I, I, I left early, and so I was, you know, okay. I, we, we'd done some homework, and my agent told me that I should probably fall somewhere in, in, in that spot, and so when the Ravens picked me, I was, I was happy, but I was, that's what I was hoping for anyway. Do you remember who went in front of you? Uh, yes. Uh, I think Orlando Pace went number okay. one. Oh, okay. Sean Springs was like three. Daryl Russell from USC okay. oh, yeah. was three. Sure. Yep. Now, uh, you say you left early, but I know you, you guys collected some degrees. Yep, I did. I, I, well, I, I graduated. I had graduated, and I okay. had another year to play. And it was in, incredibly important for me to, to get my degree. And so I, I got good. my degree. And so once I had that and I had a really good junior year, I was like, you know what? Uh, I'd like to try to pursue my, my, my career in the NFL. And it, and it worked out really well for me. Now, how, how long was it? previous that the Ravens had moved they're the Browns yeah and they became how, what, what was the timing like there one year they had, one they, year they, so they, first they year or been, one year they'd been in Baltimore for yep, one year they'd been in Baltimore for one year and uh we played at Memorial Stadium uh my, my rookie year and then we eventually you know moved to the new stadium and it was it was an awesome awesome experience there in Baltimore so so Baltimore had such a love affair with the Colts oh yeah you know yeah. from 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 the old times, yep. do you feel like you, you you tapped into that, or do you feel like it was kind of a new generation of fans? It, well, I mean, it's, it's it, interesting. It was, On my side, it's interesting to watch the Rams leave and then twenty years later come yeah, back, yeah. and you can tell it's turned. Yeah, Baltimore. Those fans, they were they were sophisticated fans. They had a love affair for for, for the Colts. They loved the history. They loved what they did. But they embraced us just as as, as good as they or, or better than they they embraced the, the Colts. And so they kept that Colt history. A lot of the old Colts used to come around. But I, I tell you what, when the when when we were there, um, they loved us. They supported us. That that stadium was packed full of, uh, of fans that were really cheering us and on. And did you get a, a feeling from any of your teammates at that time that how they felt about leaving as the Browns or whether they just kind of understood it or did they feel an affection? Because I've been at some games in Cleveland and they yeah. love them, the Browns. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the guys that were with the Browns, I mean, they, they loved Cleveland and they sure. loved that city and they, you know, they were they were loyal to it. But, you know, the move for, with, with Art Modell, I mean, it was just, just kind of out of their hands. And again, sure. they say about Art, Art was an incredible owner. And Art was in a tough spot. He needed a stadium in Cleveland. He couldn't get a stadium. Yep. The Indians got their, their, their deal. The Cavs got their deal. Right. But the Browns, Right. They were without a stadium, and so I can't look at Art and say, you know what, he, yeah. you know, so great o uh, owner. I'm so glad I had the chance to play with a living, uh, play under a living le legend like Art Modell. What, what's the process like getting to a Super Bowl and then winning a Super Bowl? What was that? How many years later? Six years yeah, later? Maybe? Yeah, it was. Uh, uh, it was. Gosh, I got there '97, won in 2000. So it was. Oh, okay. It was pretty yeah, quick, it huh? Was, it was pretty quick, but it was. You know, it, it. Everything has to come together to win a world championship. Sure. I mean, you have to. You have to find the identity of your team. Got to win your and division. You have to win your <laughs> and, and just things have to fall in your place the right sure. way, and it did. 
did. And it was just, it was a special run. Uh, not many people get a world championship, and we, we did. And so I'm just humbled by it. And I wish I could say, you know what? Um, but it was just, it, it was a, it, it was, it was a, it was an incredible experience for us. What? It's interesting. We get we get the call right on the cha- uh, <laughs> yeah. right on the championship. Yeah. It's like this, this is your coach. <laughs> um, so uh, what was it like? Those of us that are watching and we know the biggest show of the year is yeah. the Super Bowl, yep. and, and you play games in your backyard with your friends, mm-hmm. and you're like for the Super Bowl. Yep. Right. Yep. And then yep. then it happened. Did that kind of stuff rush your mind, or yep. is it more like this is what I, you know, and you're just. Well, I tell people what this all the time, your mind? That, that, that very same thing. As as a child, you think about it, you dream about it, you, but you never think you're going to do it. Right. You never think right. you're going to you're 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 play in it. But we won it and played it, and I was like, this is this is what I used to dream about. <laughs> wow. You know, that's this is what a lot of kids crazy. dream about, and we did it. Yeah. And so that's why anytime Major League, NBA, NFL, whatever, NHL, you win a championship, it is just – it's divine, it's wonderful, and you just – you just you're just thankful that you had an opportunity to to be on that history list. All right. Well, that was our interview with Peter Bulware, and now we move on to Brendan Ion Badejo. So I met Brendan at Orange Theory Fitness, where I worked at. Had no idea who he was, but after interviewing him in this next clip, we're going to show. He's just a spectacular guy, not just on the football field, but for social justice as well. Yep. Uh, so Denny, yes. Brendan Ion Badejo. Yep. Uh, former UCLA Bruin, also a Raven. Uh, but he won his uh, championship with the uh, Ravens later. You know, they were named for a poem written by Edgar Allan Poe. I did know that. Which, now, if you name yourself after a bird, I think that's much less likely to be protested than if you name yourself <laughs> after Native Americans. I, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, so that worked out for the Ravens. So, yeah, um, here we go. And also, I think Brandon's going to hit on the fact that the game was delayed. Yes, Right, I it mean, was you like built thirty minutes. It was in New Orleans, and they built their Superdome on top of a cemetery. That's what they get. Totally. So yeah, Brendan tells us about his delay and the thirty-minute delays, uh, halftime, and then how he was a part of the 2013 mm-hmm. Super Bowl championship team. What X-L-V-I-I. Roman numeral? XLVII. I'm just gonna believe you on that one. That's so here it is, guys. Forty-seven from New Orleans. Enjoy. So I think you uh, I think you're born in Chicago, but then you maybe moved back to Nigeria for a short time and eventually ended up in Santa Cruz. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. We went from Chicago to Nigeria, back to Chicago. Then when I was 10, um, right after the Bears won the Super Bowl in 85, we moved to um, Santa Cruz, California. And then all of a sudden I had to become a 49ers fan. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry about that. You can see my Rams flying behind me. Well, actually, you got the bragging rights there. 49ers are no joke. But eventually, you you come around to, to beat them in the Super Bowl. So you got the you got the last laugh there. Yeah, but it's crazy growing up in Santa Cruz, and none of my friends know any 49ers. But they were all cheering for the 49ers instead of a kid that they grew up with. Even though I was playing for the Baltimore Ravens, I'm like, hey, you know me. You don't know. You don't know freaking. Um, Colin Kaepernick and all these guys that are playing on the Niners, you know me, you grew up for me, you need to, you grew up with me, you need to root for me and cheer for me, not the hometown team. You need to root <laughs> for the hometown kid. You developed enough to come back, and, and as soon as you did make an NFL team, I think it didn't take long to be the captain of the team. Was that with Miami? Yeah, my second year in Miami, I ended up being a captain, but I think one of the highlights of my freshman year in Miami is that my brother was on that, my freshman, my first year in Miami, my brother was on that team with me. So we're together on that team. My first time running out in a game situation onto a field, my brother um, was right there next to me, and that's a memorable moment that I'll never forget. But yeah, I made captain my second year. 
Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, that's that's unbelievable. That's got to be something. I mean, to think of the path you guys took and then then you're out there together. What what how eventually did you make your way over to the Ravens and to that squad because by that time, you know, you'd certainly developed your game, you made your mark and uh and the Ravens were, you know, they were always in the mix. And so they're a, a high functioning franchise. Yeah, so I mean, I just think about my path and the players that I played with in Miami from Junior Seau to Jason Taylor, Zach Thomas, and then um, I was actually traded from Miami to the Bears. The Bears actually in Miami, they kind of have a history of where they trade players or executives have, have kind of, um, they, they kind of have some of the same people that have gone through their organization. Some teams have more of a relationship with the other teams. So I was actually traded to the Bears. Mm. And um, then I was on another great team with great defensive players. So you just think about the Erlackers, the Lance Briggs, another yeah. California guy. Um, and Peanut, Charles Tillman, and just the rich history, Mike Singletary, that the Chicago sure. Bears. So I was blessed to go to the Chicago Bears and really stamp uh, my mark. I made two Pro Bowls, played in the Super Bowl all through the Bears, which was amazing. And it was the the, um, the city that I was born in. I lived in the first 10 years of my life. Yeah, I was going to say, that that must have been something. How, how far from, uh, from, from the stadium were you born in? God, that stadium can get cold. I've been to a game there. Yeah, I was actually um, when I when I was traded to the Bears, I moved back to the neighborhood in which I lived in. Not exactly, but it was very close. Oh, so it was about a ten minute drive from the neighborhood I grew up in, but it was probably a forty five minute drive from the facility. So I was down in the city, um, and that was amazing because anytime I had to do anything philanthropical and volunteer, if it was Thanksgiving, I was going to go back to the same Boys and Girls Club that fed my family the same Boys and Girls Club that gave my family presents on Christmas. I was the one that was putting together events and giving back to that community that gave me so much as a kid. So very rewarding time in Chicago. So tell me a little bit about the, the uh, 2013 Ravens and being in that Super Bowl because there's a few notable things. One, it was the two Harbaugh brothers um, coaching each team. Harbaugh. Um, San Francisco, right? The Harbaugh. Uh, San Francisco had never lost, I don't think, a Super Bowl before that, right? And it was also the Super Bowl where the lights went out in the Superdome uh, in New Orleans. And then all of a sudden, San Francisco got back into the game with like 17 straight. I mean, it was crazy. There was so much going on that game. Man, that whole season was so crazy and so amazing. Like, we'd be arguing about gay rights. We'd be in the hot tub. Everybody's in their underwear talking about gay rights in the hot tub. And guys would be holding press, you know, pulling out the Bible in the hot tub talking to me like, oh, my God, this and that. So just the whole season was so crazy. Obama was up for his um, second um, second term as president. And then we end up being in the Super Bowl. But um, I think you really got to go back to the 2011 season to see the legacy with us in, in the Harbaugh brothers. Um, or maybe even go back a little sooner. Here's a funny story. So um, while um, while Jim Harbaugh was at Stanford on his bye weeks, he'd come hang out with the Ravens. Mm. So when he would come hang out with us, if it was throughout the week or whatever, come game day, and you know he's a former NFL quarterback as well. So come yep. game day, um, he'd be on the field and he'd be like throwing out the red flag, challenging, pulling it out of uh, John Harbaugh, his brother, <laughs> physically little brother's uh, pocket. And so then the next time he comes, like when their season's over, the next time he comes, the sidelines are roped off. And why are they roped off? They're roped off so freaking uh, Jim Harbaugh can't um, hilarious. Get the field and start coaching us. So we already had a rich history with Jim. He'd come hang out with us. Even Mr. Harbaugh, uh, their father, would come right. hang out with us. So that was amazing. But then you fast forward to the 2011 season. We played the 49ers um, on Thanksgiving night. So mm -hmm. we were the night game for Thanksgiving. And it was like, oh, it was Harbaugh number one. And that was super exciting. Like, 
um, J- or John was like, man, I want to beat my brother. He kicked my butt as a kid. It's my chance to get some payback. Like, we got to go beat this team. So um, that, that's really where that rivalry started. And you're really talking 2011, 2012. We're the two best teams in the AFC and the NFC. So it really built up a rivalry. Heck, yeah, you did. Oh, that's so great. I loved um, the stories going into that um, just because it was brothers and stuff. But um, also just the the dad and their football background and who's got it better than us boys and that whole thing. Right. It really spoke to like family and 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 the love of football, you know, and, and what goes on. I've been to a few uh, college football games up in the Midwest and there's nothing like it. It's so, you know, it's so family oriented. It's unbelievable. Dude, tell me about that delay in the Super Bowl when the, you know, when the power went off or whatever. Did you guys, you guys went back to your locker room, right? No, well, we stayed on the field. We didn't know how long it was going to be. But um, after that game, I had got a couple messages from people saying that the, the 49ers had been in two more, two additional games where the power went out. And in both of those games, they were behind and they ended up winning those games. And so in game, we were beating their brakes off. The power went out for like 35 minutes. And at that time, I was 35 years old. If I sit idle for 35 minutes, my, my, my bones turned to, to ice, so I was freezing cold, um, not like physically cold, but all my, my, my joints and bones and muscles had all cooled off. And then um, all of a sudden you got to kick the game back up and they, they, they scratched and clawed their way back into the game um, when the power came on. And so I'm like, oh, man, here we go. Wow, that's so nutty. And, and not to mention that the Superdome's built on top of like a, a, an old cemetery or whatever. So, so it gets a little spooky when the power goes out at the world's most watched television event. So they came storming back, but I think you guys like I, I kind of forget what the details were. Wasn't there uh you didn't you take a safety towards the end in order to preserve not giving up another touchdown or something to these effect to that effect? Yeah, I think it was not to give up the field position, but okay. they, they had marched all the way down and we ended up having um like a red zone stand, not necessarily like yeah. a goal line stand. They might have you know worked their way inside inside maybe the fifteen. I can't remember if it was somewhere between the eight and the twelve yard line. They worked their way back down. Wow, that's unreal. That, that, that game was so entertaining on, on like had so many outside of the game and then you guys stormed out to this lead and here they come right after that break and uh, what would it feel like to finally like you know climb that mountain um, I talked to another raven bowler Peter bowler Peter bowler yep yep and asked him you know that's that question like okay wait you just won the biggest game in the world like they're like that's the biggest game in the world somebody might argue the world cup final but and I get that it's the most watched game in the world and you just won that. What did it feel like when that gun, you know, finally sounded and, and you knew you won? Yeah, my brother was on that team with Peter Bowler. So my brother's a Super Bowl champ with the Ravens as well. And um, I think just thinking back to it, um, we had alluded to it earlier that I had some games where I'd lost. I'd lost the championship in high school. I'd lost the Little League championship. I'd lost a, a, a Super Bowl when I was with the Bears versus the Colts and Peyton Manning. So all those losses by finally getting that one win, like all those losses that had hurt it instantly just disappeared. It was like so psychologically rewarding and like all these scars that I had of games that I'd wish I'd won before, all that dis- just disappeared and went away and you become a Super Bowl champion, something that you dream about as a kid. And then yeah. I had to match my older brother that had a, cha- a Super Bowl ring with the Ravens as well. So now, wow. you know, bro and, and little bro, younger bro, we're on the same level. Oh, I love it. Where do you keep your uh, Super Bowl ring? It's in my house, in my safe. Oh, darn. If you would have told me beforehand, I would have had it here right now. But it's, you know, it's in the safe. 
Well, that was a fun interview with Brendan. I really enjoyed getting to know him a little bit more deeper on that social justice and his Super Bowl winning championships. Yep. But we move on to my favorite live show we've done with Gary Gilliam, who was another Super Bowl, was in the Super Bowl. He was, uh, and it's another bird mascot. So the Seahawks, Super Bowl XLIX. Okay, I'm done with the Roman 49 from Glendale, Arizona. But, yeah, Gary in the conference championship game against the Packers when they came back, and he double-clicked, discounted after he scored on the trick play. It was just the best. It's so great the way he explains it, too. I hope you guys watch this at least 10 times because I have, and he does a double-click discount. I laugh so hard every time I hear this or see this clip. Uh, So we hope you enjoy um, one of a little snippet from our clip from Gary Gilliam. Enjoy. Tell me a little bit about it. it. Must have been difficult not to get drafted, but you probably also knew that there were people out there that wanted you. Absolutely. So coming into Penn State, I was actually a defensive end before I was a tight end. Um, switched to tight end, I believe my redshirt freshman year. Um, they were kind of already plotting on that. I played tight end in high school, obviously. So that was my position. Ended up getting hurt my um, redshirt sophomore year, and that a pretty bad injury, ACL, MCL, meniscus, patella, a few bone bruises and a staph infection, my bone marrow, all equated to five different surgeries that kept me out for about two years. Those two years were just around the same time that Joe Pye got fired and we were transitioning into our new coaching staff. Um, So that was the year that I was coming back was when Bill O'Brien was there. And like I said, being tight end, coming from, you know, the offense that he was about to be bringing in terms of, you know, Rob Gronkowski and Tom Brady, this tight end heavy offense, like, man, like, it's going to be a tall task. Like, I hope I can do it. I haven't played football in two years. So not just was the coaching switch, but then also, you know, coming back and thinking about my career. Um, you know, I had that that first year, you know, did well at tight end. I think I had to catch, you know, most of the games. I don't think I scored a touchdown. My role was more about blocking. And um, I was like, you know, if this is kind of going to be my role, then maybe I should bulk up a little bit and make it my only role and, and see if I have a shot at the NFL. So at the end of that season, I actually went into Bill O'Brien's office Um and asked him, like, hey, like, uh, you know, I, I'm looking at the depth chart. You know, I know I'm your starting tight end, but there's plenty of people behind me that are going to do well. Jesse James, Kyle Carter, um, the name of you both went oh, to the yeah. Um, And I was just like, uh, I think I, I think I can stack on some weight and, and compete for that tackle spot, you know. And we sat there for probably about an hour, and he looked at me like, why, like, what do you, why do you want to do that? And I was just like, look, like, this is what's best for me in my career, and I think it's going to be really good for the team as well. So, we ended up, you know, he ended up agreeing on it, and he was like, you know, I like it. I like it, Gil, and I'm going to go talk to the coaches and see what they think. Um, so got the approval and started to stack on some weight. Um, and the thought process, like I said, was just like I didn't want to be an average athletic tight end. I kind of lost a step from my injury, and, you know, was it was, ah, you know, all right, let's figure out a competitive advantage here. That's going to be my athleticism as a tackle. Let's stack on some weight. I got the frame. Let's see if I can do it. So got a 305 pounds. And was still moving very well. So I was like, all right, this is the right decision. Um, competed for a starting spot that last year I was in college. And, um, you know, like I said, like, well, like you said, I took my shot at the NFL, which actually was a year before I, I could have stayed at Penn State one more year. I had el- eligibility um, from, from my injury. I could have had another one, but decided after finishing my degrees, I, w- I wanted to take my shot at the NFL. Bill O'Brien was leaving. Um, so we took our shot. And I trained very hard, you know, from from January through April. Our pro day was in April. I didn't get invited to the combine. That was in, I think, January, February, because I declared late to the draft being a junior. Um, So I was kind of behind the eight ball and a bunch of things. So I was like, I really got to be super, super athletic, you know, when it comes to this pro day. So 
got connected with Lisa Rado and Chad Moreau out in California. And, you know, they put me through a strict diet, strict workout, two or three times a day, like all treatment. Came back to Penn State um, for pro day and put up some really good numbers in the athletic realm. Um, I think top three of most of them within, you know, across the country from my position, which opened up a bunch of eyes like, oh, wait, who is this Gary Gilliam guy? Like, I thought that this was a junior. Um, you know, what's the situation here? So a bunch of coaches kind of got interested, like, all right, well, let's look at the tape. I um, literally only had like, I was split in time my senior year, my senior year. Um, so I didn't have much tape. So it was a long shot. Like, hey, this is essentially like a freshman <laughs> in college trying to make it to the NFL. Um, and luckily the Seahawks, they, they, they had actually come in and put me through an individual workout after the pro day before the draft just to kind of see if I had what it, you know, what, what they were looking for, not just the athleticism, but kind of the, the mind as well. I remember going through drills, doing my physical things, and the coach would ask me, like, hey, what kind of car do you have? What's your mom's middle name? Like, what year was this? Like, like I want to see if you can think and, and move at the same time. And I loved it, you know. So, I was going to say, that's, yeah. this is the guy who's going to score an A on that test. Exactly. And um, I loved it. Um, but like you said, came to the draft. All seven yeah. rounds went passed. I ended up not getting drafted. But I got to choose which team I went to. Almost, I think, every team except one, the Dallas Cowboys, which I remember that because I was a Cowboys fan growing up. Every other team contacted me except them <laughs> about uh, coming to be an undrafted, a priority, you know, free agent, whatever that means. Um, so I was like, all right, you know, I want to go to the Seahawks. They just won the Super Bowl. I don't yeah. necessarily have to go there and start. Um, I get a chance to learn. Like, I'm still new to this position. I don't want to go out there, get embarrassed, and then ruin my career. I want a year to get, you know, kind of learn some things. So Seattle was perfect. Um, got to be around a, a winning team, winning coaches. They did it the right way um, and got to learn a position. Yeah. You know, yeah. And what was interesting is uh, the fact that you had that tight end background and could catch a ball, you know, played into one of the biggest plays in NFL history. You know, it reminded me back in 1982, there was this high school tight end. He played for St. Bernard High School and they were in the CIF playoffs, Gary. And he, he on an extra point, did a little down and out. Boom, two pointers. We go up eight, seven against Esperanza. Now, what's not important is that we lost 56 to eight. What is important, Gary, is that tight end was me. You what do you think? That's awesome. Yeah. Um, well, not that you lost. <laughs> but. Yes. I, was, I, I remember we went up like 8-7. We were like, yeah. And then, boom, the hammer came down. All right. So enough goofing. Um, you're in the AFC, I mean, the NFC championship game. Okay. Ridiculous, right? Now, for those who are, uh, you know, uh, unaware, when you could do a, you could stack most of your receivers off to one side, and then if the tackle is the last guy on this side of the line of scrimmage, he's eligible. Did you, so we're going to show this play, but I had to ask you a question. Did you have to report yourself to the official on your way in to say, hey, I'm eligible? Yep. 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 Okay. okay. And so you're eligible over there, and now nobody thinks that Pete Carroll and, and the staff is going to call this play because – the, the snap holder is your punter, and he grew up in Canada, and no Canadian ever threw for a touchdown ever. No native, right? And so everybody's going, tackle's over there. He clearly has given up on being a tight end. Here's the, the and it's one of the best ever, and so I want to roll the reel right here. This 
discount double check. It's when we comb through your policies and make sure that you're getting all the discounts you deserve. No, I get that part, but you guys are doing my move. A discount double check move? It's my touchdown dance. So you're a dancer? No, I'm a quarterback. Oh, a quarterback. Whoa. Aaron Rodgers got Yeah, we like to have some fun. All right. The fact that you did the discount double check is unbelievable. That is so brilliant. Okay, so tell me how come, did that just come to you after you caught it? Or when, like, the play was called or during practice? When did that come to you? Yeah, so um, we actually had, you know, fake plays set up for most of the game just in case we ever needed them, right? So. Right. And most of those games, I was like, you know, always thinking as an offensive lineman, if I ever scored this touchdown, what will I do? So I always chose to pick one of the touchdown dances of the most prominent figure on the other team, right? So if we were going against Cam Newton, I would have did the, the Superman thing. And obviously with Aaron Rodgers, I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> definitely going to be what I do. And what's funny is I don't know if you guys could find the, find the clip or if you did, but uh, John Ryan actually did it too. Right after he tossed uh, me the ball because he used to play for them, so it was kind of a stick to them. Like he turned to the sideline <laughs> and did it just as I was doing it to our to our. Yeah, it, was, uh, it was awesome. Oh, that's the best. Okay, and that must have been just an unbelievable moment because it gets crazy loud in there, like as loud as any NFL stadium. I've been to a few, um, but that one gets gets loud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and it. Like you said, NFC Championship game, like you're never expecting someone to call a play like that to this rookie tackle, like, and did it, and, and it worked, and no one expected it, and it sprung, like you said, one of the greatest comebacks in NFL history. Um, and I'm happy that we actually did win that game and didn't, you know, lose 56 <laughs> <laughs> Right, right. That one actually played for you. I didn't. I don't remember doing a victory dance. Um, so you were down 16-0. You come all the way back. You go to the Super Bowl. Now – for those who don't remember what Super Bowl this is, uh, there's 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 a couple things that stick out. One, Katy Perry comes in on a lion. Very that's huge. All right, because it's like the most watched Super Bowl ever. And when I say that, I'm kind of goofing, but I'm also saying she came in on a lion. It was impressive. All right, I know you guys probably didn't get to watch. Did Pete let you guys watch the halftime show? Or you had to pay attention to something. No, but actually, on the way out off the field, we did walk right past her, so we saw. <laughs> nice. And then the other thing everybody remembers is Beast Mode. Uh, the running back for the Seahawks, Marshawn Lynch. He is just hammering people all the way down. You're about to go in. You're at the one-yard line. And now, right there, I'd like to say I, I thought this in the moment. I said to myself, whoa, wait a second. Pete, just give the ball to Marshawn. Let him fall into the end zone. Because nobody likes the Patriots, right? I mean, except for Patriot fans. So I was like, let's go, Pete, right? And I flash back, 2009, Rose Bowl. Greatest college game ever played. Pete, come on, buddy. Why is Reggie standing next to you? And all you got to do is get two yards for a first down because we do not want to see Vince Young come on the field for Texas. And they don't get it. And Vince Young goes Superman on, on SC and takes it. And I thought, uh, he'll give it to Marshawn. Okay. Last thought here, Gary. Then I need comment. What happened to you and John just throwing for a touchdown? That could have won it too, because you guys clearly had a 1,000 percentage thing going. <laughs> they might have been anticipating that. But no, <laughs> um, on the goal line, that was like the package, because I was 
you know, kind of like the seventh man in in terms of offensive line. So my role was like big tight end. And whenever we got down in the goal line, you bring an extra offensive lineman in. So that's when I would have been going in. And we called like one of our like spread packaging like zebra or something where there was no big extra offensive lineman. So we're like, wait, we throw out of that package a lot. Like what do, <laughs> what's going on here? Um, and then, you know, it, the, the stank, if you will, of that, of that play call actually lasted all the way, I'd say about halfway through the next season. Now mm. if you go back and look, we didn't start off very well that season. Um, and it took like a hash out between the players and coach, you know, the night before a game to really just like, look like, you got to explain to us what the rationale was behind that. So we, you know, he broke it down and, and showed the numbers behind it and like the percentages of certain plays essentially just, you know, kind of overthought the situation. Like, yeah, just hand the ball to Marshawn. And yeah. Take our chances. Um, put so the Skittles, you know, put the Skittles in the basket. Right. You know, this is, <laughs> come on, let's go. Um, but yeah, it, that was, it was odd, you know, to go back in the locker room after that game Ooh. And just after everything that we have been through that season, the way we won the game before the NFC Championship game with my play and all the other stuff that happened overtime and everything else, it was almost like it was written in the cards for us to win. And uh, you decided yeah. to call a passing play. You know what I'm saying? Like it was, it was, yeah. But yep. one of those things. Hey, it's, it, you know, it is also, though, a, a credit to what a great coach that Pete Carroll is that he left a national title and a Super Bowl title on the table. Like, <laughs> Like, right? I mean, it shows he puts his team in a position. Before I move on, because I actually think what you got going now may be so much more significant, already is, than what you've ever done up to this point. Can you just talk a little bit about playing for Pete Carroll and what kind of leadership you are, you know, what you what did you learn uh, under under him? Yeah, well, you know, kind of going all the way back to high school with Robert Geyer, who was my high school coach. Um, obviously, Joe Paterno, Bill O'Brien, and then, you know, to play for Pete Carroll as well. All good coaches in, in their own right. Um, but he's a, he's a good leader, too. He's good at motivating people. Um, you know, he makes everything very clear in terms of, like, what we're doing today. And it almost kind of gets you into a, a a process about trusting the process, if you will. And just, you know, every day is the same, you know. Mm. Yeah. Turnover Thursday, competition, competition Wednesday, turnover Thursday, no repeat Friday. Like, I still remember the stuff. And I'm sure they're still doing the same thing on the team now. Um but you just kind of, you know, trust what he what he says. And it's like, look, you know, he's been in college doing this. He's obviously been in the NFL doing a great job as well. So a lot, a lot of players end up buying into to what they talk about there. Um, just being relentless, kind of playing fast, playing hard, playing together. A lot of stuff that I heard from from high school, a lot of stuff that I heard, you know, from, from Coach Paterno as well. Um, but, yeah, it – He's he's a he's a good coach. He is a good coach. Um, I'm not saying he's a perfect coach. Right. <laughs> There's really things everyone can fix, but he obviously does a good job of making sure his players are are ready to play on Sunday as well as when he was in, in college on Saturdays. So I commend him. You move um you, you move over to the 49ers in your career, and I don't want to dismiss that, but I actually do because I'm a Rams fan, so I like moving right beyond the 49ers. All right, we're having some fun. How do we end this episode? Right? Well, I've decided to just end end it with something fun every time. And one of my the more recent intros we did was all of the songs of oh, the yeah. NFL. Hilarious. So, guys, I leave you with San Diego Superchargers. Just ram it, people. <laughs> and the Bears Super Bowl Shuffle. It's it's a some it's, of the, we need it's to a come, potpourri We need to songs. come back with all of these songs redone, revamped, because, man, the songs are great. So, everyone, enjoy this. I hope you enjoyed our Super Football special. Uh, come back next week for our Galentine's That's right. episode. All right, guys. Have a good week.
Watching the NFL while I was growing up in the 1970s was something special. The franchises in different parts of the country with their distinct uniforms, stadiums, and fans were as much a part of the game as how the teams performed. And whether it was the fans or the players performing, I loved the songs that were associated with these teams. From the Steeler fans singing, I got a feeling Pittsburgh's going to the Super Bowl. To songs with less words for fans to remember, like Fly Eagles Fly. Fly, fly. Or Go Pack Go. Go Pack Go! Or Hail to the Redskins. Hail to the Redskins! Oh, wait. Hail no. Strike that last one. We cannot use that name anymore. By the time we get to the mid-80s, the L.A. Rams came out with Let's Ram It. That's really the name of the song. And of course, the Bears brought us the Super Bowl Shuffle. Which took the team's song to new heights. But wait, those songs stand on the shoulders of the greatest song in NFL history. The song that was a soundtrack to the best statistical season tight end Bob Klein ever had. The song that celebrated the Air Coriel 1979 San Diego Charger team that won the West with a 12-4 mark while breaking records along the way. Football fans, I give you Captain QB and the big boys with San Diego Superchargers. Thanks for watching and listening. Sports Stories with Denny Lennon is produced by Christine Jinbo and me, Marley Rice. Directed by Chris M. Alport with studio support from Alpha Command Unit and shot by bad boy Bobby McCall. Original music courtesy of Lennon Music Production and original images courtesy of Sienna Lennon Photography. A big thank you to all of our contributors. Sports Stories with Denny Lennon is a production of Sports Stories, Inc. You can find us on audio platforms everywhere and the High School Narrative iOS app. You can also view Denny's shows on Roku, Apple TV, and Fire TV. Make sure to press that subscribe button, give us a review, leave a comment. It will really help us grow the show. Hey, you know what else would help us grow the show? Hustle on over to patreon.com slash Denny Lennon to get some never-before-seen videos, pictures, interviews, and more. We are all over social media and constantly sending out clips on Facebook, conducting fun polls on Twitter, going live on Instagram, and more. To find all our social media links, hustle on over to sportsstoriesdl.com. SSDL proudly supports the My Stuff Bags Foundation and the Heroes Movement. The My Stuff Bags Foundation, with the help of thousands of people across the country, provides children in unfortunate situations with new belongings and new hope through its innovative My Stuff Bags program. 
Heroes Movement is a nonprofit that bridges the gap from therapy to getting strong again through small group workouts for any veteran of the United States Armed Forces for free. Links to how you can support and help these foundations can be found on our website. We want to give a big thank you to our partners of the show. So, as Coach Lennon would say, any questions, comments, or concerns, you can email me, Marley, at info at sportsstoriespodcast.com. Sports Stories thanks all of our followers and listeners. And we will, we will see, see you, you next time. time. Hey, thanks, Marley. Thanks, Chris. Okay, Sports Stories with Denny Lennon comes on at 5 on YouTube. Don't forget, and don't you cut me out. <laughs> Woo! I just cut one. Kick it out, book!